This is the Podcast for Democracy, a global conversation to encourage and support your activism. Produced by OPEN, the online progressive engagement network. Today's guest, Cristobal Rovira Kaltwasser, political science professor in Chile and director of the Laboratory for the Study of the Far Right, known as Ultralab. Now here's your host, executive director of OPEN, Giovanna Negretti. Thank you for being with us, Cristobal. Um, you're calling us all the way from Chile. Ultralab, tell us about Ultralab. What is Ultralab? When were you founded? What is your purpose? What is your mission? Well, Ultralab, it's a relatively new development. And this is a research lab that I'm working on with uh, three other colleagues. So we are, I'm a professor here in Santiago de Chile. Another colleague of mine who is also a professor who comes from Peru. He is the second who is joining us. His name is Carlos Melendez. And then we have two fantastic postdocs working with us. One of them is called Lisa Zanotti. She's an expert on the main trip on the radical right in Europe, mainly on Vox in Spain. And we have also Talita Tanche, who comes from Brazil, and she's doing a postdoc here in Santiago de Chile. And she works mainly on the case of Bolsonaro. So we are four colleagues from different countries uh, with different knowledge. All of us are working on the far right, but uh, we mix, so to say, the best of us because we work with quantitative, qualitative methods. We have knowledge about different countries. So, and this project started because we are increasingly worried about the state of democracy around the world and also mainly in Latin America. The far right for a long period of time has been seen as something that comes from Europe or from the Northern Hemisphere, but it has been slowly arriving in Latin America. And this is why we started Ultralab with the idea to get funding from different institutions and organizations to try to do research to better understand who are the those far-right actors in Latin America, and more importantly, who are the people who are supporting and who are rejecting these kind of leaders and projects. And this is funded mainly by Open Society Foundation. We started with a seed grant that allowed us to make some research on the Chilean case study uh, to get some information about who is supporting and rejecting the far-right in contemporary Chile. And now we are expanding this project to the rest of the continent. So we are doing, for example, a workshop now in August with colleagues that are coming from different Latin American countries, and they're going to tell us about the far right in different countries of the region, like El Salvador, Mexico, Colombia, etc. And we will run a couple of surveys, very good face-to-face uh, -face surveys in six Latin American countries to get better knowledge about the same question, who is supporting and who is rejecting the far right in these different Latin American countries. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about your, your first case study, if you will, which was Chile. Very interesting development, political developments in Chile in the past few years. And there's this extreme right character that's come along um, and sort of sneaked in as they do, like a trend where these um, sort of right wing activists or political personas start from a very small base, but all of a sudden, in a number of years, they're actually able to capture the attention of a public and really make position for themselves, as in the case, for example, of Italy re recently with the election of Maloney. Can you tell me a little bit more about in the Chilean context? Well, in the Chilean context, as you were saying, it's quite interesting, in part because it has been a very, very rapid development. In most Western European countries, the rise of the far right has been 
a slow motion process. So you have the rise of a party that gets three to four to five percent of the vote, then it's able to establish itself in the electoral arena, and after a long period, might be able to get 10, 15, 20 percent of the vote. This is the history, for example, of the Front National in, in France. Mm. What happens in Chile is different because, as you were uh, already saying, it's very, very fast. The leader of the far right in Chile, his name is José Antonio Cast. Interestingly, he comes from the mainstream right, but he decided to go out of one of the mainstream right parties and to build his own electoral vehicle, which, which is called Partido Republicano, the Republican Party. And he was able, he ran the first time in 2017 and he got roughly 9% of the vote. Then in 2021, he ran again as a presidential candidate, and then he was able to get 26% of the vote, and he was able to go to the ballotage to the second round, and then he got roughly 45% of the vote. So he lost in the ballotage, but nevertheless, he got an amazing result. And he built also his own electoral party, which is called the Partido Republicano, which now has 15 deputies and one senator. So the development of that party, to a certain extent, I would say it's pretty similar to the Spanish case study. So if you analyze Vox, the far-right party in Spain, yes, it's very much related to the Partido Popular, the mainstream right party. Santiago Pascal okay. made his career within that party and a certain moment of time, of time decided to go out and to build his own electoral vehicle. And if you look at the top members of the, of the Vox party, the leaders of the party, most of them come from the Partido Popular. Yes. In the case of the Partido Republicano in Chile is very similar. So they come from the mainstream right, but they decided to build his own electoral vehicle. And this party presents itself as being to the right of the mainstream right and constantly is criticizing the mainstream right. And they call them that they're cowards. They're not able to develop the, the right ideas to be strong enough against the progressive sectors and then the left. So in this sense, it's pretty similar to the... To, to some Western European case studies and in particular to, to the Spanish case study. And one of the things that we have done in Chile is to run uh, different studies to get better knowledge about who are those who are supporting and who are rejecting the far right. And I think here I want to, to emphasize one aspect. Normally when we talk about the far right, we try to understand who are those who are supporting those parties. And we know, for example, in Europe that these are people that normally are uh, against immigrants, that tend to be very conservative, etc. And we have wide knowledge about that. But we have much less information about who are those who are rejecting those parties. Mm. And I think this is pretty important because many of those parties are able to mobilize a section of the electorate, let's say 10, 15, 20 percent of the electorate, but in many countries, they also are rejected by a large section of the population. And we have not much knowledge about who are those who are rejecting those parties and why they're rejecting them. Yes. So this is why in the case of Chile, we wanted to get better knowledge about these two images, so to say, a sort of mirror. So who supports and who rejects. So the first things that we have done is to, to done a survey, a high quality survey. And an interesting aspect is that we find out that roughly 20% of the electorate supports the far right in Chile, but 60% is against it. 
So, and we have focused the whole time on the rise of the far right. Remember that I told you that in the first round of the presidential election, Jose Antonio Cas got 26% of the vote, mm -hmm. but with a very low turnout. So, which doesn't mean that this uh, he was able to mobilize uh, this 26%, because with roughly 50% of participation, he was able to mobilize roughly 15% of the people. And... Mm -hmm. What we got through the survey, it's better knowledge about these two camps, so to say, who is supporting and who is rejecting the, the far right. And, and and to do it very brief, so the main finding, if you want, the regarding the supporters, it's relatively obvious because it's pretty similar to those who support the far right in other countries. They tend to be mainly male. They tend to be quite conservative on moral issues. They tend to be mainly Christians or evangelicals, similar to what happens in Brazil or, for example, also in the United States. They tend to have very strong authoritarian attitudes and they tend to be very against progressive values and, and the left, so to say. And to a certain extent, this is what we expected. What is interesting is about the mirror image. So who are those who are rejecting the far right? And remember, this is 60% 60, 60 of the population. So it's a big chunk of the people. So and here they tend to be mainly women. They tend to come from different ages. There is no particular sector. And education yet. levels as well. Education levels are also pretty, pretty similar. And it's interesting that they tend to be very democratic. They support the democratic regime, most of them. And it's also interesting that in all the different scales that we have about measuring uh, of being leftist or rightist or progressive or conservative, most of the 60% tend to be relatively progressive and relatively close to the center left, but not all of them. Mm. And this is important because remember, this is 60% of the population. It's a big chunk of the people. Yeah. And I think this is one of the key messages that I think it's important to keep in mind. And I think it matters for Chile, but it matters for many other countries. Those who are rejecting the far right are not only progressive actors and people that have very strong lefty values. There might be people that are in the center or even people, people that tend to be a bit right wing that they say this is way too much. This goes beyond the pale. And mm -hmm. I think this is important to keep in mind, and it's one of the most interesting findings of, of our research, I would say. I read somewhere on your website about the right's perception of democracy, what democracy is, whether they find it important or not important as it relates to how they support, you know, authoritarian regimes or authoritarian leaders. Does, is democracy a thing that people who don't support authoritarianism or the alt-right, is that something that motivates them? They want to sustain democracy? Excellent question. And to try to answer that, we, we focus on the one hand on surveys, but then we went also to qualitative methods. And we, what we have done here is focus groups. I don't know if you're familiar with the methodology, but very simple. You put different people to talk about a, a topic. And we have done seven focus groups in Chile with people who support Jose Antonio Cast and the Partido Republicano and seven focus groups with people that reject Jose Antonio Cast and the Partido Republicano. And in all these focus group, we follow the same type of questions. And this is, why do you support this project? Why do you reject? Which are the values that you associate with this project? And etc. And here is interesting because particularly if we look at those who are rejecting the far right in contemporary Chile, we find a lot of evidence that this group is very diverse on ideological terms again. So some of the people tend to be progressive, some of the people tend to be conservative, some of these people tend to be in the center. 
But all of them have two important things in common. The first thing that they have in common is that they are aware of the fact that the far right is very authoritarian. And this mm. is why they say, we don't like this project, although in some issues we might agree with them, for example, issues related to the immigration, that maybe we have way too many immigrants, etc. But if they come into power, there is a real chance a democratic regime might collapse. And this is why we are against those actors. Again, not necessarily because some of the ideas that they have might be okay, but it's because of their behavior and their relationship with the democratic system. Right. And the second aspect that we find pretty interesting, it's related to gender. Hmm. In the case of Chile, the far right, it's very conservative also on moral issues, issues related to abortion. But it has also this classic image about family, uh, about how the family should be and about the rule of women. And I don't know if you're familiar with what's going on in Chile, but we have a very strong feminist movement that it's not only something, it's it's not something that it's a niche, it's something that it's widespread across society. And it's pretty interesting that in these different sectors that we identify, people that are on the center, people that are on the left, and people that are on the right, all of them are aware of the fact that the far right is too conservative on these moral issues. It has an image of women that it's of the 19th century, so to say, and we are living in the 21st century. Uh, just to give you one example, when I was attending one of the focus groups, there was a woman, relatively young, 30, 30 years, who said, I always have voted for the mainstream right. I, conserve, I consider myself a right winger, particularly because I'm much more in favor of the free market. But on moral issues, I tend to be relatively liberal. And when Jose Antonio Cas started to campaign, I find his, his image quite interesting in his program. But in a moment on time, he gave an interview on there was a, a political debate in which he said that he was willing to close the Ministry of Women Affairs in Chile. And then she said, this is for me too much. And right. this is the reason why I stopped following him and I will never vote for him. And here you have someone who is a right winger mm. who said that in theory, some of the ideas of this project are okay. But this is beyond the pale. And we find the same also with issues related to democracy. Right. And why I think that this is important, because this has to do with how do we deal with the far right. Yes. If we develop messages for the far right that are only for those who are very progressive, this is going to be okay for, in the case of Chile, for 20, 25% of the population. Mm. But if we are able to develop messages that connect different constituencies, Right. It's much more challenging, but I think the effect is going to be wider. And I right. think this is, again, one of the main outputs, I would say, or, or, or key messages that we can derive from, from the kind of research that we have been doing here in Chile. That's fantastic to learn. Now that you're starting with other countries, how is this similar or different, do you think? Do you foresee that this will be in other countries around Latin America? My answer is only partial because we're conducting right. research, but nevertheless, you always have like a sort of feeling or hypothesis, so to say, that you want to test. And our feelings is there are strong differences between countries within Latin America, but also around the world. Broadly speaking, I think you can have two kinds of countries. Countries in which the far right has been able to establish itself, entrench itself, and mobilizes a really big, big chunk of the population. And these are countries that are highly polarized. The United States would be an example like that, or Brazil would be an example like that. So in fact, in Brazil, a lot of the debate is whether you are in favor of the PT, the mainstream center 
party, the Partido de los Trabajadores, or you're against them. In the United States, whether you're a Democrat or you're against a Democrat. And then in those countries, the scenario, it's a bit more complicated. Then in a country like Chile, similar to most Western European countries in which the far right is able to mobilize 10, 20, 25% of the population. So in countries like Chile, again, then you will find the 60% of the people who are against, but they are very diverse. And then the key question is how we are able to develop messages and strategies that are broad enough to mobilize all the sectors that are against the far right. In countries like Brazil on the United States, it's a bit more complicated, but nevertheless, it's not impossible. Why is it not impossible? Because my feeling is in countries like Brazil or the United States, you have something like 40% in favor, 40% against. The crucial battle is in the 20% then. What do you yes. do with these people that are in the middle then? Yes. And in these people in the middle, again, we have to get better knowledge about them. So and under which circumstances they might be willing to favor the far right or not. Yes. And again, then we need to do a zoom on that specific sector of the electorate. Of course, we need to take care of the 40% that is against anyway. But in those countries that is so polarized, the chance that these 40% will vote for, for the far right, it's almost impossible. But the crucial battle then is in this middle ground on this 20% that might decide the election in one direction or in the other one. And in your studies, how important has it been sort of the persona that is representing the alt-right is, you know, there's the themes, there's the sort of like the issues that they bring on, the ability for them to communicate, but the persona that they take on as the Donald Trumps of the world or the, how important is that in Chile right now? Do you think a snowball effect will happen? Because Donald Trump came from sort of like left wing, if you will, right? <laughs> you know, it wasn't really expected, the explosion. Do you think that could happen in Chile? Do you think that could happen in other countries in Latin America that are like Chile? There, there are two questions in one then. I, I start with the with the persona and then I go to the snowball effect across Latin America. Regarding the persona, Jose Antonio Cas, it's interesting because it's quite different from Donald Trump or Bolsonaro. Do you know do you know about them? We read about the news the whole time. And they have this very flamboyant character. They are very passionate and they're uh, they always say very strong things and this is why they generate so much attraction. Uh, in the case of Jose Antonio Cas, he's very polished, he's very calm, he has a different kind of leadership. And he uses that the whole time to present himself as someone who is moderate. And he says, the radical are the others, because I'm very calm, look at me, I'm very polished, very well educated. And this has been working quite well, particularly because the media... It's very reluctant to call him as far as a right politician, because mm. in the media, we associate the far right with Bolsonaro or with Trump. But right. you come from Spain, you know the Western European context quite well. And in Europe, it's not always like this. Marine Le Pen, it's not Bolsonaro. I mean, right. she's very calm to a certain extent. She can be aggressive under certain circumstances, but it's right. another kind of leadership. Right. And I think this is important to keep in mind that when we are talking about the far right, there are different kinds of leaders. They might use the same kind of program, but the way in which they politicize certain issues might be different. And this is something important to keep in mind, uh, because, again, we shouldn't stick to the cliche that the far right is always someone like 
Donald Trump or it's always someone like Bolsonaro. There is a crucial question about who will come after Bolsonaro and after Donald Trump. And maybe there are going to be leaders like Jose Antonio Cast. They are more calm and polished, but they will develop the same kind of ideas. And this is something important to keep in mind. Regarding the snowball effect and whether we will see the expansion of the far right across of Latin America, uh, I don't have a crystal ball to predict the future, and I think that it's always difficult. Uh, economists always say that they can do it. I'm uh, less confident about my own knowledge about that, but there are certain reasons why I think that this might happen, at least in some countries. And the reason why I'm thinking that is that in Europe, the key driver for supporting the far right has been immigration. And we know that immigrants are coming and coming to Europe from different countries, and this will stay over time. And because this issue, it's going to be a permanent battle, there is a strong reason to believe the far right will um, always have a big chunk of the population in Europe that will support them. In the case of Latin America, immigration is not the main issue. In Chile, we have that sort of problem, but I would say Chile is the exception rather than the rule. The main issue in Latin America that the far right has been able to exploit are two different elements. One, it's security. We do have problems in Latin America with crime. And it's not only the numbers that we have, it's also the perception about that. So, for example, if you look my own country, Chile is a relatively safe country. It has been getting more violent. But if we compare that with other Latin American countries, we're doing very, very well. But if you turn on the news, you have the feeling sometimes that you're living in Iraq in this country. Mm. And this has to do with the sense that the media is developing, but quite important, politicians themselves. Because if all politicians talk about crime, then no wonder that people will vote for a party that it's it's going to say they're going to be very tough on crime. Right. So, and I think this is a commonality across of Latin America. Right. Uh, think about Bukele in El Salvador. The main reason why people voted for him is not because of immigration, it's because of a real crisis on issues related to crime. But the second aspect, I think it's related to moral issues. Latin America, in comparison to Europe, it's a relatively conservative region, but it has been going a bit more liberal over the last few years. And we are starting to see increasing polarization on this moral dimension, people that support abortion or reject abortion, for example. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, that was not necessarily one of the main battles, but this is starting to get traction in some Latin American countries. And because the far right politics is going to, it's always prefers the politicization of the conservative camp, this is always a niche that they can try to exploit. Right. And based on these two dimensions of, say, crime on moral issues, I think they try to establish themselves in the electoral arena. And I think they have a space to grow. It doesn't mean that they will necessarily get 50% of the vote, as in the case in Brazil. But depending on the context, they might be get to get to able to entrench themselves and get more or less vote in different Latin American countries. When you think about Latin America, you don't think about the extreme right, you think more about the extreme left or militarization in the past. Tell me about the, the shifts that you see there in Latin America as it relates to sort of the extreme left and now the rise of the extreme right. Are there similarities as to how both extremes uh, have been coming along through history? Well, the issue with the extreme left, I think it's true, but there is a sort of cliche as well. When we think about Latin America, we think about Fidel Castro and Hugo Chavez and etc. And you say, oh, this is a country in which the left has been very, very successful. But if you look at the numbers, for example, in contemporary Latin America, 
the left is not doing particularly well, and the extreme left is doing very, very bad. I mean, the extreme left is in Cuba, of course, but Cuba is anything but a democracy. And if you think about Venezuela, okay, Maduro is controlling the system, but Venezuela is not a democratic system. And in those places in which the extreme left was in power, Ecuador or Bolivia, those projects are not particularly well. And we had in Latin America the so-called pink tide or rise of left-wing centers, and some of them were the extremes, and this is Hugo Chavez, Rafael Correa, Evo Morales, but as I said, most of these projects are not in very good shape nowadays. And we had the moderate left, like Lula da Silva in Brazil, or the Frente Amplio in Uruguay, or the Socialist Party in Chile with Michelle Bachelet. So we had different kinds of left. So and I think then we need to be a bit more careful with this cliche that the far left has been able to entrench themselves across of all Latin American countries. Another aspect that is important to mention, this extreme left that was successful in some Latin American countries was very extreme on the economic dimension, but not necessarily on the more cultural dimension. Hugo Chavez quite a, was quite a macho, so to, so to say, and if you think about laws regarding progressive values, gay rights, and etc., those regimes were not very keen on doing that. There were classic old left, so to say, much more on this Marxist jargon, so to say, but not on this cultural dimension. It was different with these center-left parties that they were trying to push a bit more this cultural dimension. So Michel Bachelet in Chile, for example, was able to approve an abortion law that it's a bit progressive, so to say. I mean, still very conservative for a European standard, but allows abortion under three very specific circumstances in the country. So, but this is something to, to important to keep in mind to to be a bit more careful with this with this sort of cliche that we have about the rise of the far left across of all Latin American countries. My experience has been particularly I'm from Puerto Rico originally is that the the right and the even the alt right uses that cliche as a threat towards if we don't go here then we'll go there right this is the the threat if we don't have a military strong authoritarian regime we're going to go so far to the left if we if we go the morality route that we will be lost, right? We will become a Cuba or we will become a Venezuela, quote unquote, right? Is that something that you see the alt-right is still using today? These were very much rhetorics in the 80s and the 90s. Has that shifted? Is that not important anymore? Are people able to contextualize that a bit better today? This is a fascinating aspect that you're mentioning, and I 100% agree with you. If there is something in common about these far-right actors, because remember, José Antonio Caz, it's very different from Jair Bolsonaro. But if there is something in which they will agree, it's the issue that the left, it's the devil. And they right. will say that what they want to install in Brazil, and in the case of Chile, it's Cuba and something like that, which is... From an objective sense of view, if there is objectivity, I'm not being quite positivist here, but if you try to be a bit objective, it's completely nonsense. So Bolsonaro was fighting with the PT, which was involved in corruption scandals, all this story. But if you look at the democratic track of the governments of the PT, they were quite okay. I mean, they didn't do anything against the democratic system, but he was able to depict that party as an evil machinery that was trying to implement like the Cuban model or the Chavista model. The same with José Antonio Castro in Chile. It's pretty interesting that in Vox in Spain is developing a similar rhetoric. And yes. in fact, Vox is trying to develop like a sort of network in what they call the Iberosfera. 
so which are all the countries that belong to the Spanish Empire, so to say. And they're saying we need to protect ourselves from this Chavista project that is trying to conquer the world. And from from us, for us that are progressive, you, you hear that sort of language and to say this sounds a bit crazy, but this sort of rhetoric and frame helps to mobilize a section of the population that it's very at odds with progressive, so to say. Yeah. Uh, this is, again, a rhetorical tool that not necessarily convinces 50% of the population, but it's very good for mobilizing those who have very strong feelings against the left and who are afraid about progressive values and these sort of progressive projects. This is absolutely fascinating. I, I really um, am looking forward to the upcoming studies that you're going to be doing in the rest of the region. When can we expect some more interesting uh, information from you guys? Because we have to watch this very carefully, don't we, um, as sure. to the trends in Latin America? I mean, in the by the end of the year, we hope we'll have a workshop now. I mentioned that in August, in which we'll have eight colleagues from different Latin American countries that they will tell us about the far right in their own countries, for example, El Salvador, Colombia, Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, etc. And we will publish that as a simple document, so to say, for a broader audience that should be ready by the end of the year. And next year, we hope to have ready all the six surveys that we'll do, and then probably we'll write a longer report with information about who supports and rejects the far right in different Latin American countries. Well, thank you for this angle, particularly around the angle about who rejects, right? I haven't seen that before. And that, that for us as campaigners, as digital campaigners around the world, that's really important to understand that particular piece of information about that, who and why is not supporting and it's just not progressives. And what do we do to to move those folks more strategically for the good of democracy? So thank you for all the work that you're doing. And I hope we can get another interview when you're done with that study early next year. That would be sure, fantastic sure. to follow up and figure out what the trends are. Many thanks for the invitation. It has been wonderful talking to you. Thank you, Cristobal. You've been listening to the Podcast for Democracy, brought to you by OPEN, the online progressive engagement network. Please subscribe and download this podcast and tell your friends. Also, feel free to rate and review the podcast, available on all podcast platforms. Find out more at the-open.net. That's the-open.net.